Hello, Darklings, and welcome to the Nocturnal Mysteries Podcast, a show about the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, and things that go bump in the night. I'm your host, Jenny. Please come and join me. Sit down and place your fingers on the planchette, and let's jump right into this nocturnal mystery. Listener, we have all seen the movies, The Exorcist, Agnes, The Devils, and the many movies titled The Exorcism of Insert Name Here. But have you ever thought about what it would be like to be possessed? The thought of not being in control of your own body and mind is truly terrifying. Would you even know that you were possessed? On this episode, I will be talking about exorcism and one of the most documented cases of it, the exorcism of Anna Uckland. Before we jump into this, I just want to say that I don't think it matters what your take on the Catholic religion is, but to understand exorcism in this manner, you need to take into account that for this process to be completed, belief in the Catholic religion is imperative. I know that many of you listening, like myself, are probably not part of the Catholic faith, but please be sensitive to the beliefs outlined in this episode as they are important to the story. Exorcism is defined as the act of driving out or warding off demons or evil spirits from persons, places, or things which are believed to be possessed or infested by them, or are liable to become victims or instruments of their malice. It is also the means employed for this purpose, especially the solemn and authoritative adjuration of the demon in the name of God or any of the higher power in which he is subject. The belief that demons exist and can possess people is one of the most widely held religious beliefs in the world. Most religions claim that humans can be possessed by demonic spirits. The Bible, for example, recounts six instances of Jesus casting out demons and offer exorcisms to combat this threat. The first official guidelines on exorcism were issued by the Vatican in 1614 and then revised in 1999. Exorcisms are still performed to this day, as long as the individual in question shows signs of possession as laid out by the church and has passed through examination, psychological and spiritual. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states that, like all sacramentals, an exorcism is directed towards the sanctification of humanity and all creation, and the praise of God by disposing us favorably and purposefully to cooperate with God through His grace. It is by the loving will of God and to the glory of His holy name that the Church casts out demons, drives out evil spirits, and heals those who are suffering from demonic possession. When the church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one and withdrawn from his domain, it is called an exorcism. Jesus performed exorcisms, and from him the church has received the power and office of exorcising. In a simple form, exorcism is performed at the celebration of baptism. The solemn exorcism called a major exorcism, can be performed only by a priest and with the permission of the bishop. The priest must proceed with prudence, strictly observing the rules established by the church. 
exorcism is directed at the expulsion of demons or the liberation from demonic possession through the spiritual authority which Jesus entrusted to his church. Illness, especially psychological illness, is a very different matter. Treating this is a concern of modern science. Therefore, before an exorcism is performed, it is important to ascertain that one is dealing with the presence of the evil one and not an illness. Once this has been ascertained, the exorcism can continue. According to the Catholic Rite of Exorcism, the priest delegated to perform this office should first go to confession or at least elicit an act of contrition and, if convenient, offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass and implore God's help in other fervent prayers. He vests in surplus and purple stole, purple representing sorrow and penitence. Having before him the person possessed, who should be bound if there is any danger, he traces a sign over the cross of the possessed, over himself, and the bystanders, and then continues to sprinkle them all with holy water. After this, he kneels and says the litany of the saints, exclusive of the prayers which follow it. All present are to make the responses. This will usually be followed by a reading of Psalm 53, with the priest giving commands to the demon to obey the priest and not to hurt the possessed. Some lessons from the Bible follow this, and then the possessed is sprinkled with holy water. Next, the priest will make the sign of the cross over himself and the possessed, place the end of the stole on the neck of the possessed, and place his right hand on the possessed's head. More prayers are read and more demands for the demon to be cast out. It will also help the possessed immensely to say devoutly and regularly the prayers of Our Father, Hail Mary, and the Creed. Other prayers that are said to be of assistance are the Canticle of Our Lady, the Canticle of Zachary, and the Anathesian Creed. Many psalms will also be used throughout the process, including Psalm 90, 67, 177, and 30, just to name a few. When the exorcism is complete, there will be a prayer for deliverance, asking Jesus to take possession of the afflicted person to protect them. This is just a brief outline of the rite of exorcism, as there is a lot to it and the prayers it uses. The entire rite of exorcism can be viewed online if you are interested in a more in-depth look. For Anna's story, I got the majority of my information from the book Be Gone Satan, written by Father Carl Vogel in the 1930s. It is important to note that this is where Anna became Anna. It was just a pseudonym to try and keep her identity a secret. It is believed that her real name was Emma Schmidt. The book was translated into English and published by Reverend Celestine Kapsner in 1973. Originally, this book was a very thick pamphlet that was distributed to seminaries in the United States. Its sole purpose was to familiarize priests with the destructive powers of the devil during the process of possession. The exorcism of Anna Uckland is one of the most documented cases of demonic possession in American history, taking a total of 23 days to complete and with at least a dozen witnesses present it is a truly terrifying tale. To this day, there is still no scientific explanation for some of the things that took place. Anna's story has inspired books and movies, as the events are all true. Anna's story is not a simple one. To start off, 
Anna was possessed by multiple diabolical entities and also entities which were at one time human. Those would be the spirit of her father, Jacob Uckland, and her aunt, Mina, who was her father's mistress. Anna was born in 1882, but by the age of 14, she had already begun to have strongly presented symptoms of possession, such as an intense aversion to anything holy or sacred, including blessed objects or images. She was unable to enter a church because of some unseen force. She also had an almost obsessive interest in the depraved and disturbing sexual acts. Many people believe this is due to the fact that Jacob was sadly successful in his attempts of an incestuous relationship with his daughter, and these actions imprinted themselves upon her. It is believed that by the time she was 26 years old, Anna had become completely possessed. It is claimed that Father Theopolis Reisinger, who I will call Father Theo from here on out, a Capuchin monk from Wisconsin had successfully completed an exorcism of Anna on June 18, 1912. Ultimately, it was unsuccessful in the long run due to the fact that her aunt Mina and her father Jacob had begun placing curses on Anna. They would curse the spices in the food that Anna ate. It was believed that Mina was actually a practicing witch with knowledge of black arts. During these curses, they actually called upon assistance from the devil so that Anna could specifically suffer the torment of being repossessed again. They believed that according to the Bible, if a demon is expelled, but for whatever reason allowed to return, he will return with, quote, seven stronger than him. The possession will be significantly harder to successfully correct via exorcism. A full two decades later, in 1928, Father Theo began the exorcism process again with Anna, who was now 40 years old. It was agreed upon that a nearby convent in Erling, Iowa would be used as a site for the second exorcism. The convent was maintained by Franciscan nuns and the Mother Superior signed off on its use. Father Theo hoped that if he could remove Anna from her hometown and perform the exorcism elsewhere, then it would be unknown and it could go on in complete discretion. From the moment the opening prayers were recited, this was proven to be anything but the case. The exorcism would be performed by both Father Theo and his friend, Father Joseph Steiger, who I will call Father Joe. Father Joe was a parish priest in Erling and knew the area well. Once Anna had been transported to the convent, she was placed in an empty room with a bed and restraints. Strange things started to happen almost instantly. Some of the nuns there had attempted to give Anna food, which had already been blessed as was the usual practice. She would refuse to eat it. If anyone attempted to bless any of Anna's food, she would know of it immediately and refuse to eat. She would hiss like a cat and show great aversion to the food. Only unblessed food had to be prepared for her. During the exorcism, there was a great deal of intense paranormal phenomena that occurred. Anna would exhibit inhuman strength. Sometimes it would take up to six nuns to hold her down. On more than one occasion, she would levitate completely off the ground. At one point, 
when Father Theo invoked the Holy Trinity, Anna leapt from her bed in the lying down position onto the wall above the door, where she held on and maintained her position of crouching, defying gravity while holding on to the side of a wall. Other times, she would experience the opposite, exhibiting signs of what is called possessed gravity. Sometimes she became so heavy that the bed would sink and the iron frame would bend. During the times when Anna was unconscious, voices would talk and verbally assault everyone present. These words did not come from Anna's mouth. They came from her throat, her lips never moving. When awake, she would vomit, spit, drool, urinate, and defecate inhuman amounts of solids and fluids. It was reported that Anna was urinating buckets worth of liquid, and this is at a time where she was not eating or drinking hardly anything at all. She would vomit what looked like tobacco leaves and spices. Anna was able to speak numerous languages that she had no previous knowledge of. She would verbally assault the nuns and priests by reciting sins that they had committed in their childhoods. Hordes of flies and mosquitoes would appear and disappear just as quickly, along with unbearable human smells constantly assaulting the senses of those present. She would also experience a great deal of physical change throughout the exorcism. Her head would swell and elongate while her body would expand to what appeared to be almost double her size, and then would retract back to normal. On some occasions, her lips reportedly would swell to the size of hands. The nuns and Father Joe were so frightened and troubled that none of them could stay in Anna's room throughout the entire exorcism, but instead worked in shifts. Only Father Theo remained for the entire process. At one point, Anna predicted that Father Joe would be involved in an almost fatal car accident in hopes of turning him away from the exorcism and forcing him to rescind his invitation to Father Theo. A few days after this prediction, Father Joe was called away, and on his return, he crashed his car into the railing of a bridge, but managed to walk away from it. It is important to note that this is the only recorded case of possession where the priest has had a lucid, vivid, waking vision with his sixth sense during the exorcism. Quote, Without stopping the exorcism for the last half hour or so, Father Theo physically saw both Lucifer and Beelzebub standing in the corner, confined there. In this vision, the room was completely set aflame and Lucifer, described as being extremely tall, with matted black fur on his lower hooved body and wearing a crown, was seething with rage at Father Theo because he was confined by God's law and unable to cause physical harm to a person. Beelzebub was also there as his second-in-command, also seething in rage, but not quite as vocal. Hordes of lesser demons and avenging spirits possessed Anna, but the main ones present were Beelzebub, Judas, and the spirits of her father Jacob, and his mistress, Anna's aunt Mina. Beelzebub was the first to reveal himself, engaging Father Theo in sarcastic theological conversations. 
He also acknowledged that the curses Jacob placed on Anna after her earlier exorcism was how they gained entry. Father Theo tried to reach Jacob at this time, but he was answered by a spirit identifying himself as Judas. If you know anything about the Bible, you will know that Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus and made his identity known to those looking to arrest him. He is known as the betrayer. In the hierarchy of hell, it is said that Judas would be the equivalent to the patron demon of suicides. Judas admitted he was only there to torment Anna and to get her to commit suicide. In the Catholic faith, suicide is considered an unforgivable act and as a result, Anna would go to hell. When Jacob eventually spoke, he said that he had cursed Anna for not submitting to his incestuous advances. He called upon the devil to tempt her with every unspeakable sin against chastity. A high falsetto voice present from the beginning among the other voices revealed itself as that of Mina. God had damned her for living with Jacob and for murdering four children. It is suggested that the children were Mina's own, but they may also have been multiple abortions. Mina was described as any devil's equal for malice and hate, filled with spite and blaspheming the blessed sacrament. Sensing his eventual triumph, Father Theo continued to implore the devils to depart, and by the later part of December 1928, they began to weaken and moan rather than scream against his efforts. Father Theo demanded that when they returned to hell, each should call out his name as a sign of his or her departure, and the devils agreed. On December 23, 1928, at about 9 p.m., Anna suddenly jerked up and stood erect in bed, looking as if she were about to rise to the ceiling. Father Joe called for the nuns to pull her down, while Father Theo blessed her and roared, Depart, you fiends of hell. Be gone, Satan. The Lion of Judah reigns. Anna crumpled back onto the bed as a terrible shout of Beelzebub, Judas, Jacob, Mina, followed by hell, 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 filled the room, repeated several times until the sound seemed to fade into the distance. Anna opened her eyes and smiled, while tears of joy ran down her face, and she cried, My Jesus, mercy, praised be Jesus Christ. After 23 days, it was finally over. The exorcism had covered three sessions, the first from August 18th to the 26th, the second from September 13th to the 20th, and the final session took place from December 15th to the 23rd. But in the end, Anna was finally free. The priests and nuns were so overjoyed that they were not even aware of the terrible odor that filled the room. All the windows had to be opened. The stench was something unearthly, simply disgusting. It was the last souvenir of the infernal devils for those they had abandoned upon the earth. Not much is known about Anna's history after the exorcism. One can only hope that she was able to enjoy what was left of her life. It is reported that she died on July 23, 1941. I can only hope that after spending more than half her life under demonic possession, that she was finally able to have a quiet and fulfilling life. I'm sure after all of that torment, she would have been happy just to be free. 
exorcism movies became a phenomenon after the release of The Exorcist in 1973. But why do we enjoy these movies so much? Is it because it seems like something that could actually happen to anyone when you strip it down? Monster movies scare us because we know that they are not real, and movies with serial killers scare us because we know that the chance of that happening is slim and the law is always involved. But in the case of possession, well, that depends on what you believe. Most movies about exorcism have a main character who is just a normal person. But regardless, the fact of being rendered completely helpless at the mercy of something can be unsettling, to say the least. Are you among the 54% of Americans in 2009 that believed in the possibility of demonic possession? In 2016, a movie aptly titled The Exorcism of Anna Uckland was directed by horror film writer Andrew Jones. The movie was made for Netflix and has a rating of 2.5 out of 10 on IMDb, so I guess watch at your own risk? Listener, please remember that if you think you or someone you know is suffering from demonic possession, please proceed immediately to your local church. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Nocturnal Mysteries podcast. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow me on Instagram at Nocturnal Mysteries Pod, TikTok at Nocturnal Mysteries, or Twitter at Noct Mist Pod. After the episode release, I'll post some pictures of the things I talked about on social media to try to give you a bit of a deeper understanding of the episode. If you have anything you would like to hear me cover on the show, please do not hesitate to reach out on social media and let me know. Also, I'm honored to be part of Bad Secret Media with one of my personal favorite podcasts, The Secret Levels Podcast, a retro video game review show. You can go to badsecretmedia.com to find all the information on this show and all the shows under the Bad Secret Media umbrella. And finally, before I go, I'd like to give a huge shout out to the man behind the mysteries, the show's executive producer, Toby Von Doom. The show would not be what it is without him and all the hard work he does and all of his editing magic. You can find him on social media at Toby Von Doom and go and give him a follow as well. Until next time, stay curious, stay weird, stay kind, and before leaving the board, don't forget to always say goodbye.